When I taught at the seminary, I used to say to students on occasion that the stories in the Gospels are like astronaut food. They've been vacuum-packed, condensed. You have to add water to make it come back to life. They're what scholars call narrative gaps. In this story, for instance, there's nothing said about why exactly Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. And when the moment happens that he gives his possessions, there's a gap. You don't, you don't hear the details. And so sometimes it helps to add water to these stories. Lloyd Douglas did this probably better than anybody. He was a minister turned writer, probably best known for his novel, The Robe. But he tried his hand at the Zacchaeus story in a short story, which I think is very poetic, a short story about this short man called The Mirror. And he fills in all kinds of narrative gaps. For instance, he describes the step stool that Zacchaeus drags around on the marble floor whenever something's out of reach, mumbling under his breath. Or he describes the street that Jesus is going to pass on and how Zacchaeus bribes a Roman soldier by the name of Crispus to let him get up in one of the sycamore trees. And when Jesus says, I'm going to stay at your house, Zacchaeus warms to the task and says, yes, yes, and they make their way back up the hillside, and Zacchaeus is glad to point out the decorative fountains and the beautiful gardens, and he tells the gatekeeper, don't let the people trample the flowers, and inside, Zacchaeus says to one of his servants, we'll be eating in the formal dining room and be sure to use the goldware. It's quite the story. Douglas's version, but Luke's as well. I'm guessing most of us first heard and met Zacchaeus when we were about his size, when we were still little enough to climb up trees and it was vacation Bible school or Sunday school, and maybe we just resonated with somebody about our size in the Bible. And I have this memory of when I was a kid going to the 7-Eleven down the street and at the counter trying to pay for my Snickers bar. And the counter was, of course, up to here. And the adults that were standing behind me were getting waited on, and I was ignored. Did you ever have that feeling when you were a kid? My daughter, one of my daughters said that even in college, when one of them would get stopped by the campus police, there was always this, you're younger, you're up to no good. There was this guilty until proven innocent kind of thing. Maybe that's why we like Zacchaeus. He was the little guy. Except, as we later learned, he was the one who pushed people around. He was a tax collector. Part of what you might even call a pyramid scheme because he's the only chief tax collector mentioned in scripture, which meant he was over the people and he cheated them out of money and of course they cheated the people out of money and it was all terribly unfair and they could skim off whatever they wanted and the funds, whatever money they raised, it went to fund building projects for Herod. Lavish, lavish residences, some of which he never even visited. So it's perfectly understandable why the crowd grumbled when Jesus went to his house. Zacchaeus wasn't just short, his heart was too small as far as they were concerned. But as Jesus goes to eat with Zacchaeus, the story takes a turn, three turns. It's shocking on at least three levels. One, 
that Zacchaeus is even looking for Jesus in the first place. And the word is really seeking. He is seeking after Jesus. And not just to see him. It says he wants to see who he was. It, it implies a kind of religious or spiritual curiosity on the part of this tax collector. Something in him is being drawn to God. The second shock is that Jesus is seeking people like Zacchaeus. It's a little story about a little man, but in Luke's mind, it is not a little story. He even, at the end, uses one of those summary statements. For the Son of Man has come for this very purpose, to seek and to save the lost. And clearly, Zacchaeus had lost his way. But the biggest shock is not just they're seeking each other, but what happens? And that is Zacchaeus decides to give away his possessions to feed the poor and to pay back people he cheated. I love the way Douglas describes this scene. After dinner, Zacchaeus orders dessert, a dish called the ices, which he says is used with snow, born on the backs of swift runners from the peaks of Mount Beth Peor, more than 20 miles away. And, and then Zacchaeus says, you know, strong men have died attempting the journey, but such is the price for the finer things in life. Except Jesus isn't listening. He doesn't care about dessert. He keeps looking out the window. And in the midst of the crowd is a woman fanning a sick child. And then Douglas says, the eyes of the two of them meet. Jesus and Zacchaeus, and then with no explanation, he goes out on the balcony and he says to the crowd, today I give half my possessions to feed the poor and I'm paying back those I've cheated. And the crowd collectively whispers, it's a miracle. Yeah, I'll say. In the first century, as well as the 21st century, there's injustice. And like today, you could in the first century say, what are you going to do? You can't do anything about it. It's the system. But if in the first century you wanted to do something, there were two options. One was the option that the zealots took. Within their group was a small party that decided to use violence. And what they would do is in the crowded marketplace, one at a time, they would kill off a Roman soldier, just stab him. And Jesus' approach is not violence. Instead, Jesus decides to change the people in the system, or more accurately, to change the people and the system. Here's one of the ways I think about it. I know you've pulled up at the same intersection I have. The woman is there with the cardboard sign. Please help. God bless you. And I don't always do it, but when I do, when I give money, I think, God, I hope that helps this person eat today. But then, of course, my mind instantly thinks, but it won't do anything about the cycle of poverty. Jesus' approach is a both and. In the Gospel of Luke, he says, no quibbles about it, give to everyone who begs of you. Give to them. But he also changes the system by going to the tax collectors. And Luke says that's one of the first things he does, and Levi becomes a follower. And it's one of the last things he does with Zacchaeus, who becomes a follower. Luke bookends his gospel with the conversion of tax collectors so that he can change the crooked system. 
Yeah, put a dollar in there, but what about the bigger changes? Religion starts as an encounter, one person with God, but it doesn't stop there. It's always about society. And the Judeo-Christian tradition is so clear that everyone should have enough, and those who have the means should do something about it. I don't know if you know the name Catherine Boo. She's a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist. For years, she worked on stories here in the States about the juxtaposition, the, the actual the proximity of the rich and the poor, how close they can actually live together and what could be done about it. And then she married a man from India. And did she ever have a laboratory there? She describes the international terminal at the Mumbai airport, beautiful, glimmering, and surrounded with a fence on one side, too tall to see over, and on the other as you approach, a concrete wall. And plastered on this concrete wall in beautiful sunshine yellow is an ad, but it's repeated over and over and over again. Just two words, beautiful forever, beautiful forever. Turns out it's for Italian marble floors, maybe the kind Zacchaeus had. But she notes how on the other side of the beautiful forever are people like Abdul and Kalu who are trying to recycle garbage or steal scrap metal. And the, the juxtaposition just separated by this wall. And of course the wall, well, on one side, it's beautiful forever. Don't worry about what's on the other side. And on the other side, of course, don't even think about coming on this side. And I think in many ways that, that beautiful forever wall, it just snakes its way around the world through every city. And it's a separating line. I mean, how far is it from the marble floors of the Nelson Atkins to Troost? How far is it from here? Zacchaeus climbs up in a tree. He lives on a hillside. If you're up high enough, you know, out of the floodplain, you don't really have to look down if you don't want to. Or you could look down, you know, like, oh. Or you could just sit up there and be thankful that you have what you have. Don't, don't really worry about them. Or maybe seated up high, you can finally see on the other side for the first time and really see. It's at a meal like this one that Zacchaeus has changed. You, you probably know that in Christian tradition, lots of interpretations about this meal kind of on this spectrum. And on one end of the spectrum is this notion that the bread and the wine become, actually change into the body and blood of Christ. And disciples aren't on that end of the spectrum. But the point is this, that no matter where you fall on the spectrum of what does it mean, all of Christian tradition believes that we should be changed when we eat this meal. Fred Craddock, great disciples preacher, he used to tell a story about how about this time of year he was invited to Winnipeg to give a lecture and to preach at a church. And since it was this time of year, he packed a jacket, got up there, and a blizzard came in. I mean a big blizzard. 
So his host called him at the hotel and said, hey, Fred, this thing's canceled. The place is socked in. I can't even get there to feed you. You're on your own. Good luck. Oh, there's a diner across the street. So he puts on the jacket. He trudges through the snow, goes into the diner, reaches for a menu, and the cook says, I don't know what you need a menu for. You want soup or not? That's what we got. <laughs> okay, I'll have soup. And so he, he, he ladles out this lumpy gray something called soup. And Fred said it was awful. It was absolutely awful. But you could warm your hands on it. You could get a facial from the steam, at least. And, and you could sip on it if you wanted to. But it was awful. And then a few minutes later, a man on the edge, maybe homeless, he came in. And it was clear he could not pay for the soup. And the cook said, this isn't a church. You pay, you eat. You don't pay, you don't eat. And the people hearing this, they, they, they rose in protest. And so the cook said, okay, okay, whatever. And he ladled up some soup for this guy, and Fred went back to his. And you could hear everybody in the place sipping this soup. And he said, it, went, it was awful, but it kind of grew on you. And he said, in the end, it tasted like bread and wine. So we eat this meal. Then what? 